So I was thin my whole life. As a kid, I was thin. Elementary school, I was thin. Junior high, I was thin. High school, I was thin. Even in college, I was very thin. When Lisa and I got married 30 years ago, I was about 150 pounds, super skinny guy. And for the first, I don't know, six, seven years, it just stayed like that. I was thin. I was a thin husband, right? <clears throat> and then, then the cute little love handle showed up, right? And um, because they were cute, I left them. <laughs> and then a little bit of a gut showed up, and I said, well, you know, in ministry, we're always out eating with people, and it's just a natural, you know, it's, it's one of the things you pick. It's a consequence of being in ministry. And then... Before too long, Levi's changed the way they measure a 32 waist, and I had to start buying 36s, even though I knew I was a 32, right? And then one day, it just sort of happened. Did, um, did you get the picture loaded in, by the way? Jared? Where's Jared? We, we do have that? I'm hearing yes. Okay, sorry. I'm half deaf, totally blind. And then it happened one day in which I was no longer wearing a 36, but I was wearing a 42 waist and I was wearing double XL shirts. And that's me. And it almost looks foreign to me because I'm not that anymore, but Really, in my mind, I never became that. I never watched that happen to me. It just happened so incrementally, so slowly. So I went from 150 to just over the years, I mean, I needed to put on weight. 150 was, I was super, super skinny. But I ended up in that picture, I'm about 255 pounds. And I didn't see it happening. I just kept, maybe each month would gain kind of a pound, you know, and that doesn't feel like a lot, but that's 12 pounds a year, and then you multiply that by a few years, and suddenly after eight, nine years, you've put on a lot of weight, and, and, and I honestly, I was, it was not just affecting my physical health because it was harder to do everything. Uh, my knees hurt all the time. My feet hurt all the time. My back hurt all the time. I was tired all the time. And I actually started uh, uh, getting uh, hives and angioedema. My face would swell up like somebody beat me with a baseball bat and the doctors could not find a reason for that. I was going to four different specialists at Kaiser and here's the crazy part. Not one of them said, hey, big boy, you're only 5'10". You're the perfect weight for somebody who's six foot seven, but you're only 5'10". You should lose some weight. Don't know if it'll fix this, but you're gonna live longer. You're gonna be healthier. You're gonna enjoy life more. Not one single doctor told me that. But I had just decided that I was kind of sick and tired of being this way. Because it was affecting not just my physical health, emotionally, I was tired because I was physically tired. 
And I was discouraged. And when I did look at myself in the mirror, I didn't feel happiness or joy or pride. And when you're physically and emotionally and intellectually, mentally affected by something, it has an impact spiritually on you as well. So in every way, this weight that I had picked up all along the years, not really intentionally doing it, but just gathering it into my life, it began to hold me back from really being the dad, the husband, the pastor, and everything else I wanted to be as an individual. And so about, I don't know, five or six years ago, I decided I didn't want to be that way anymore, and I was going to do something about it. And so over the course of about five months, I lost about 63 pounds. And I want to show you kind of what that looks like in terms of bags of flour. These are five pound bags, right? And uh, all of those represent, actually there's one back here that didn't get put out, all right, there we go. So I want you to think about what that looks like and just carrying that around with you physically, like you could duct tape that all to me right now, and that would be cumbersome and, 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 and restrictive, and it would be burdensome, and in every way it would hold me back from being as lively as I am now, and as enthusiastic to do things, as, and athletic as I can be now, and all the things that I enjoy doing now, if you put all of that back on me, it would be very, very hard. So we're gonna shift gears for a second, and I want you to now imagine what it looks like over the course of your journey through church. In which without knowing it, you've picked up hurts and disappointments and, and prejudices and ideas and opinions and, and things that have just begun to stuck, stick on you and you've begun to carry those things with you. And uh, Pastor Jamie, I'm gonna have you come up here. I didn't tell you I was gonna do this. So I'd like you to, um, you've been in church a long time and you've experienced some things, we've talked about that. So I want you to hold that bag and I'm going to give to you um, sacred cow traditions. These are the kind of things that a church does that nobody wants to change. You can't really figure out why they're doing it exactly, but they like to do those things. And if you try to change it, they're not gonna let you change it, right? And then there's toxic leadership, and we've all been under some toxic leader at some point in our life. They're controlling, uh, they're manipulative, they're, they're immoral, they're unethical, uh, they're, they're mean-spirited, there's something about them that you know just isn't right. And then maybe we go to um, politics. Man, the church can't seem to stay in their own lane. We get involved in things and we take sides and we alienate people because they don't think they're on the right side because we tell them Jesus is a Republican and you can't be a Democrat and be a Christian, right? You can't get into heaven and if you do, you're gonna be mopping the floors for all the Republicans so you better get your politics right, right? That's the kind of nonsense that we pick up over the years. Um, that's kind of a heavy bag so I'm gonna give you another one. Move that to an arm or something and... Uh, there you go. You've been shopping before, I can tell, and you've, you've lugged kids along. So then there's money issues, right? Oh my God, that church, all they talk about is money. And then, and then the pastor's driving around in a Bentley, and they tell me that they can't afford to pay the electric right? And then there's, uh, and then we see on their website, my God, they're the most welcoming and, 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 and friendly church. They pride themselves on that, but you get there, nobody says hi to you, nobody greets you, nobody asks you how you're doing. It, 
you go, okay, maybe it was a bad Sunday. You come back the next Sunday and try it again and they're well, unwelcoming and they're cliquish and they're exclusive and they tell you basically without telling you who's allowed to come to their church and who's not. And then of course you've got bad theology and twisted teaching. You get some distance from one of those churches and you start going, holy cow, that doesn't say that in the Bible or they, they were taking that out of context or they're using scripture, they're weaponizing it to beat up on people instead of bring people to Christ. What kind of monster does that? And, and, and maybe they just teach some stuff that says this is what you have to do to be saved and then you look at the Bible and it doesn't say anything like that. It, it adds things to grace. It adds things to God's mercy. It tells you that you have to perform and you have to meet these certain standards and you go, that's not good either. Um, that one's false. You might want to have to take another bag here. So, <clears throat> then you've got um, abuse, how'd that go and turn around? You've got uh, churches that are abusive and controlling, that, 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 that try to manage every part of your life because you can't go see this movie and you can't listen to the, this music and don't listen to any other's teaching and don't do this. And, and you start realizing that they want to have something to say about every single thing that you do because they want to keep you in line with how they do it. And so you pick that up along the way. And then of course, you just see some churches that are unloving and they're unchristlike. You think, I don't think this is what Jesus does in the Bible. I don't think this is how Jesus acts. And I see people online all the time really like isolating one thing that Jesus did and making it appear as if that was his whole ministry. Jesus flipped tables in the temple against religious leaders. Jesus never turned on unbelievers like that, but people like to make Jesus an angry douchebag so that they can be angry douchebags to people. Uh, edit that out for the online campus. Um, and then that's because there's just a lot of judgmental people that need for us to be angry because that's the only way you'll turn people back to God, right? Is tell them how angry and wrathful God is and that justifies the way that they judge you, right? Because we can judge a fruit by its tree or a tree by its fruit right? Yet Jesus said, you can tell that, you can see somebody's fruit, but be careful in judging their fruit because you might want to look at your own tree first. You might want to see the rotten apples fall into the ground. You might want to clean up the, the dog do in your own yard. Be really, really careful. Show grace because that's the only way you're going to get grace. Starting to get a little heavy for you, Jamie, I apologize. I, I'm not personally doing this to you. This is just, this is just... The way it happens at church, I'm afraid, is we all kind of have to put up with it. We all have to kind of, I mean, there's denominations, right? I, I've talked to some of you guys, and, and I did a series on, on grace and sin, and some of you guys were coming from, I won't say just the denomination, because I'm trying to be critical of them, but you're like, wow, never, never, never got taught this, always afraid of God, never really understood grace, never felt the love of God, never felt the grace of God, and we get some of those things where a denomination says, ah, well, I mean, they're all Christians. They'll They'll get to heaven, I suppose, 
but we're gonna get there the right way. Jesus is gonna high five us and goes, you guys hacked the system, you, you broke the code, you got it. You win, smartest Christian on the planet, right? Because you were Pentecostal or you were Baptist or you were Lutheran or you were Catholic or you were Episcopalian or you were Methodist or you were Church of Christ or you were Pentecostal holiness or you were oneness. And we could go through the 255 different denominations and every one of them thinks they know more about God than the others do. And then of course there's the culture wars. It's the stuff that the church engages itself in that whatever is on the news, they've got to stand up in the pulpit and make sure they've made up your mind about what you're supposed to think about that. And so we get irate and we get worked up and we get on the internet and we get on social media and we make sure everyone in the world knows where we stand on this issue. And so we add that there too as well. And then finally, you've got the hypocrites and the fakes, man. Woo! Like we could just start a church called Hypocrites and Fakes and pack that place out every week, right? And that's the reason we're not gonna go back to church is because it's full of hypocrites and fakes. And the reality is, it is full of hypocrites and fakes, right? Just like, ev- just like your bank is full of hypocrites and fakes and your work is full of hypocrites and fakes and everywhere we go is full of it, but it just feels worse when it's at church because we should be getting it right. And so we add that as well. And then this one, this is just kind of all the stuff you can't quite put your finger on or that you can't quite remember, but it's the, it's the residue of everything that you've ever picked up along the way. And she's gonna carry that one by hand. Now I want you to see, so yeah, you can give her a hand. Now, here's the problem. Unless Jamie does something with that, it's going to destroy her health. It's gonna wear her down. It's gonna break her down. She's gonna get discouraged and and defeated and she's gonna wanna stop pretty quickly. She's not gonna wanna keep carrying that stuff. And so what you do is you disassociate with the place that's given you all this baggage, put all of this weight on you. And I gotta tell you, that's the absolute worst thing that you can do. But there is a way to get free of that. You can take it down to your seat and unload that however you want. She'll be fine, my gosh, calm down. Like every bad pastor, I'm like, don't worry about the lady with all the baggage that we put on her. Pull out your notes if you don't already have them out. Because Jesus taught this principle to a group of Jews that had been weighted down with religious dogma, with rules, with regulations, with, with all kinds of restrictions that made them feel overwhelmed and defeated by this religious structure that was supposed to liberate them and get them closer to God. And Jesus said this to them. To the people who believed in him, and other translations that actually say to the Jews that believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now we quote that all the time, but we sort of quote it out of context because Jesus was literally talking to those who had been oppressed by religious weight and baggage. Those who were being crushed under the weight of an oppressive religious system that wasn't providing freedom for them, but was actually squeezing them to death. Truth is the liberator. Truth 
contradicts the falsehoods that we believe. And can I tell you, everything that I gave Jamie right there was based in deceit, was based in a lie, was not based in the truth of God. So I wanna give you four simple truths today that are gonna liberate us and set us free, amen? The truth that will free me from my baggage, or truth will free me from my baggage, and the truth about the church is number one, the church is important to God and it should be important to me. The church is important to God and it should be important to me. So I was at the gym earlier this week and I had just finished a uh, cycling class. Lisa wasn't feeling super well, so she was gonna meet me uh, for yoga. And so I went into the uh, yoga studio and I was just standing there kind of on my phone waiting. The room was totally empty because class didn't start for another 30 minutes. And a lady walked in and she was older than I was and she looked around, she said, um, what, when, when does class start? Am I early? I said, oh yeah, it doesn't start for another 30 minutes. Oh, oh, okay. And I cleared it up, showed her on the schedule. And she said, you look really familiar to me. And, um, I, I don't like that when people say that. And, uh, I said, oh, <laughs> got back on my phone. And she says, is it from here? And I go, I don't know why I look familiar to you. Like, uh, I don't know, maybe it's from here. And uh, I, she goes, what do you do? And I said, what do I do like for a living? What do I do for work? Yes. I said, ah, and this is, I don't also like to answer this question. I said, I'm, I'm a pastor. And as soon as I said that, it began a whole conversation in which she began to unload her hurts and her disappointments and her frustrations and her disillusionment with the church. All the places that she had been and all the things that she had experienced and I said to her, you actually are among a lot of other people who are struggling with a lot of those same things. And a lot of the hurts and the disappointments and the frustrations and even the anger that you feel at the church, a lot of those things are justified. You, you have a right to feel that way. And I did say though to her that as failed and as flawed as the church is, it's important to God because he created it. And she said, I don't believe that God created the church, man did. And I said, well, I understand that it feels that way a lot. And man has messed it up. But the Bible says, that God created the church. Listen to what it says in Matthew 16, 18, and this is Jesus speaking to Simon, who he then changes his name to Peter. Now I say to you that you are Peter, your new name, the name I'll call you is Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, Jesus continues, now I say that you are Peter, and upon this rock, so everyone would know that Jesus was talking about Peter because Peter means rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. That in and of itself tells us that Jesus created it and it's important if he establishes something that's so big, so powerful, so forceful that hell and all of its powers cannot conquer it, you know it's important to God. And we have that in the word. He, Jesus, created the church. But I want you to listen to to the way in which we hear the church described, Paul is talking to men in the church 
and he's wanting to tell men, you need to step it up in how you love women. Now, this is one of the criticisms of scripture, and it's one of the criticisms of the Bible is that it was misogynistic and abusive towards women. And I would, I would really push back on that and say that you'll see that leaders and teachers were pushing back on cultural norms. It was normal within their culture and community for women to be subordinate, for women to be silent, for women to be uh, even abused. And you'll see all the, old, or all the New Testament, uh, you actually see through the Old Testament, which God establishes women, and in the New Testament, in which God is using men to teach other men, you've got to do better in this. You can't keep doing it this way. This is not how a Christ follower would treat a woman who is an equal, right? And here's what it says in Ephesians 5, 25 through 30. Husbands, you must love your wives so deeply, so purely, and so sacrificially that we can understand it only when we compare it to, listen, the love the anointed Jesus has for his bride, the church. We know he gave himself up completely to make her, the church, his own, washing her, the church, clean of all of her impurity and with water and the powerful presence of his word. He has given himself so that he can present the church, his bride, as his radiant bride, unstained, unwrinkled, and unblemished, completely free from all impurity, holy and innocent before him. So husbands should care for their wives as if their life depended on it, the same way they care for their own bodies. Listen, and as you love her, you ultimately are loving part of yourself. Remember that you are one flesh. No one really hates his own body. He takes care to feed it and love it just as the anointed takes care of his church because we're living members of his body. This is an instruction manual on how to love your spouse, men, how to love your spouse compared to the unselfish, giving, sacrificial, amazing, caring, gentle, compassionate, tender, kind, and, and, and in every other quality way that Jesus did to his bride, the church. You see that Jesus adores the church, that he'll do anything for the church, that he gave himself completely for the church, that Jesus loved the church as much as he loved himself, even more than himself laying his life down for the church. If you don't think the church is important to God, you're missing the message. You're missing the heart. You're missing the intent of why Jesus came to gather every lost person and make them part of his church. So yeah, the church is important. And you can't accept and love Jesus and reject his church. You can't love Jesus and reject his bride. You can't say to me, Chris, listen, we love you, man. We love being around. We'd love to spend more time with you. We'd love to hang out with you. But got to be honest, Lisa, not a big fan. And it's crazy how often that conversation happens the other way around, usually. I honestly wouldn't even let you finish that sentence. Because you can't love me and hate who I love. Right? And you can't love Jesus and despise his church. Number two is this. The truth about the church that will set me free is that the church is built for and built on broken people, including me. 
Write that into your notes. The church is built for and built on broken people. So I hope there's a Q&A time in heaven every day because I've got so many questions that I want to ask God when I get there. And one of those questions would be, why did you put us in charge of a good thing? Why? I mean, seriously, even at our very best, we break everything. We don't get anything entirely right. Even at our very, very best, when we're at our best as a, as a, as a species, as a human group, we never get anything completely right. So why would you give to us something so precious, so perfect, and allow us to mess it up? And I wonder if it's because that he turned over to misfits and the broken and put us in charge of a thing that would be for misfits and broken. If in his wisdom he thought, if I put the perfect in charge, no one will come. No one would know what to do in the shadow of perfect people. Here it is in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to his bride, the church. He gave the apostles and he gave prophets and he gave evangelists and he gave pastors and he gave teachers and their responsibility, what he gave those people for is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Hold it right there on that one. Uh, flip back for me, just one second. He gave the church leaders to equip the church to do good works and build up the church. Every church that has not been built up, there's two groups to blame for that. One, leadership for not equipping, or two, those who have been equipped not doing. Amen? Amen. Now go on to that next one. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord. In other words, we're gonna keep practicing until we start getting it right. And the way we know that we're getting it right is that we start becoming more unified, become more mature in our unity. And it will be more mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Perfection is when we are unified in Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching or every cultural war or every political upset or everything that comes across the news or everything that upsets our faith because it doesn't feel like the world is following the Bible like they should. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like truth, when we try to make politics sound like the Bible and vice versa. Instead, we will speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. And as each part does its own special work, we're the parts. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So I want you to listen for just a second because... That was a lot of stuff, but here's what it basically means is we are to gather under this umbrella of a thing called church so that we can continue to work in each other's lives and for each other and with each other until number one, our faith unifies us and that becomes more important than the things that divide us. 
I'm going to say that again, where the thing that unites us, being like Jesus, is more important than all the things that divide us. And we get to a place where we have matured beyond behaving in all the ways. I got to tell you that um, I'm not, one of the most liberating things we've done as a church is free ourselves from an alliance with a denomination primarily because it allows us to be authentically summit church without conforming to a set of regulations that a denomination says, you must do this to be called us. And I just think, I want to look like Jesus. I wish Jesus had his own denomination. <laughs> kind of think he does a little bit. And, and we could just be like him. And that's really what we want to do until we become so much like him that we can't help but to reflect him in our community and draw more people to him. Number three, I got to keep my man. Thank you. The truth about the church that will set me free is the church is where I help bring out the best in others and the best comes out in me. So think of the most difficult, hurtful, manipulative, manipulative, gossipy, whatever, difficult, hateful, mean-spirited. Think of the worst person in church you've ever encountered in all of your life that caused you the most frustration or pain or personal hurt. Now, I want you to really be honest and ask this question. How much time how much strategic, specific, intentional effort did I put into helping them, supporting them, lifting them up, encouraging them, praying for them, connecting with them? How much time did you invest in making them better? I mean, really spend any time or effort or any intentionality in, in just making them a better version of themselves. How much time did you spend on getting to their core hurts? Whatever affected them in such a way that this is what they become. How, how much time have you spent finding out their story, wanting to know it more so that you can identify and empathize and relate and maybe have more grace for their situation? And I would tell you that it's probably not a lot of time because that's not typically how we treat those who hurt us. We recoil from them, we retreat from them, we don't want to expose ourselves, and that's completely understandable. Now I want you to ask yourself another really difficult question, and it's this, how many people do you think see you as somebody who's hurt them in some way, disappointed them in some way, frustrated them in some way, abandoned them in some way, didn't show mercy or compassion or understanding in some way when they needed you to? I wonder even now, I mean, there was a time in my life when my sense of humor was a lot more cutting and bitter and sarcastic and cynical, and I know that I left a wake of bodies. But there are times now when very unintentionally, I think, I hurt people, even through things I genuinely can't control. Lisa spends a lot of time watching videos on TikTok and on YouTube learning more about ADHD because it's helping her understand me a little bit better or hopefully understand a little bit better. 
One of the things I honestly can't control sometimes is where my mind just shuts down in the present moment and has moved on and then my body goes, okay, and walks away and I've walked away in the middle of conversations with you. People will be talking to me, sharing a story and I just turn and walk away and Lisa's like, Chris, they were in the middle of a sentence, right? (laughs) Never would do that on purpose, never knowingly do that. But the point is this, that God created us in a way to help each other get better. Listen, if God only put easy people in your life, right, you'd never become better because they'd never rub up against your rough edges. And vice versa, God puts you into the lives of difficult people because difficult people need help. Jesus says, I did not come for those who were well, but I came for the sick. You don't need me, Jesus told the religious leaders. You're all good. It's them that need me. Listen to what scripture says, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. We should think about each other to see how we can encourage each other to show love, to do good works. We must not quit meeting together as some are now doing. No, we need to keep on encouraging each other. This becomes more and more important as you see the day of his return getting closer. The Bible says you and I have to keep coming together no matter how hard and how difficult that can be. Listen to Romans 12, 10 through 13. It says, love each other in a way that makes you feel close like brothers and sisters. I want to ask yourself, or I want you to ask yourself, how many people here do you know in a way, do you love in a way, have you connected with in a way that you would consider a brother or sister? And I don't think that number would be too impressive, even if you could name one or two people. Look at this community and ask yourself, does God have more people I should be connecting with, growing closer with, and give each other more honor than you give yourself? As you serve the Lord, work hard and don't be lazy. Don't uh, be excited about serving him. Be happy because of the hope you have. Be patient when you have troubles. Pray all the time. Listen, share with God's people who need help. Look for people who need help and welcome them into your homes. This is a great uh, litmus test of where we're at and our effectiveness, our personal effectiveness at doing the good works God has brought us into a community to do. We all get frustrated by the idea of people in our country who are doing no work, but benefiting from those who are doing all the work, right? You don't like seeing your taxes go to those who refuse to work, who could work, right? I mean, if somebody's disabled, if somebody legitimately can't work, then I have no issues with sharing with them until they're able to, or we support them because they're unable to work. But those who are able-bodied, who can work, who should be working, none of us get excited at the idea that hard tax dollars that we worked for are taken from us and given to them. Can I tell you that it happens in the church all the time? Those who come and receive but give nothing don't give financially, don't serve, aren't interacting, aren't engaging, aren't building the community. 
but we kind of feel like maybe we're supposed to let that happen. Isn't this supposed to be the ultimate charity of charities? Aren't we supposed to let everybody come? Absolutely, anybody's welcome through the door, but once you consider yourself part of a community, don't you think that every single person should be contributing to that community? Amen, Pastor Chris, thank you. (laughs) Fourth and finally, is this the truth about the church that'll set me free? And this is gonna be very, very quick is that the church is God's lighthouse to a world lost at sea. And I am the light. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this because in November, I want you to listen, this is going to be literally the most important series we ever do in the history of our church. It's a state of the church address. I'm gonna tell you where we're at and I'm gonna talk about where I believe God is taking us. And if you consider yourself in any way, marginally or intimately, to be a part of this church community, I encourage you not to miss a single service of November. But I will tell you this, that over the years of ministry, in 30 years at a handful of different churches, I have heard people express to me what they believe the church should be doing more of or less of or better at and what they should uh, be as a church. And I would say this, that uh, almost, almost 100% of them are wrong. And not because they weren't good ideas or not because that they didn't have something that sounded almost biblical or maybe even it was biblical. But the concept of what church is and what church is supposed to be is not some ambiguous blank canvas that we get to sort of paint in. We get to kind of connect whatever dots and fill in whatever spaces and just we kind of get to shape it in our own image, which we're forbidden to do. You see, the church is the bride of Christ and the Bible says do not uh, make graven images and do not uh, uh, um, make... um, for me into, yeah, you got what it says. Uh, uh, yeah, um, right. So uh, don't, <laughs> uh, mm, I just learned English. I know, I know these words. How do you say in your country? Um, <laughs> do not make God in your own image. That was what I was going for. Um, that turning the bride of Christ into Uh, What we want it to be so that it sort of serves our purposes is, I believe, one of the, the, the gravest sins that we can commit. And I believe, without a shadow of a doubt, that the purpose of the church is spelled out clearly. And here's what it says in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.19, or 2 Corinthians, sorry, 5.19 through 20. It says this, God was bringing the world back to himself through Christ. So this is Paul explaining the purpose of why Jesus was here bringing the world back to him through Christ. He did not hold people's sins against them. God has trusted us with the message that people may be brought back to him. The whole purpose of sending his son was so that man could be reconciled and that sin would not be held against us. And then it says, and he gave that message to you to carry. So we are Christ's official messengers. It's as if God were making his appeal through us. Here's what Christ wants to beg you to do. Come back to God. 
Here's the purpose of the church, to tell people that there is a God that desperately loves them, that doesn't hold their sins against them, that wants reconciliation with them, that sent his son so that that could be possible. Here's what God wants from us, is to be reflections of the grace and the passion and the zeal and the healing gentleness of Jesus Christ, everything that Jesus was on this earth, that we could reflect that to people. There is no plan B though. I, I kind of think that, that maybe we think that there are this uh, group of super Christians or, or, or there's a pastor's conference in which we go, well, I mean, the church wasn't that effective this week in representing Jesus. Let's us all go out there. We'll do a really good job and we'll kind of clean up the mess the church created this last week. You see, there is no secret army of Jesus ambassadors while we're at work acting like morons. While we're engaged in sexist conversations or racist conversations or we're engaged in some kind of hateful conversation, while we're acting like a jerk to our boss or we're talking about somebody behind their back, or we're acting out in any other way throughout the week, you see, we're literally damaging the reputation and the message of Christ when we do that. And there's really no one else that will come and clean that up because you were the messenger Jesus sent. You were the messenger intended to carry that. Closing with this, Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says this, you are the light. Now there's another passage which Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. But Jesus gets to assign that light. And he says, you who are followers, you are the light that shines for the world to see. You're like a city built on a hill that cannot be hidden. People don't hide a lamp under a bowl. They put it on a lampstand. Then the light shines for everyone in the house. In the same way, you should be a light for other people. Live so that they will see the good things you do and praise your Father in heaven. Question to ask yourself throughout today is what does my light shine for people? What does it illuminate? Does it illuminate politics, my cultural preferences? Does it illuminate my feelings, my ideas, my opinions, where I stand? Or does it illuminate Christ to people? Does it draw people to the light of God? Does it make people want to move closer to him because of the light in your life? And if the answer is no, I have to tell you that there's no more important task for you in your life than to just ask yourself this question, is what I'm about to do going to bring light to Christ or is it going to cover up the light of Christ? Is it going to hide the mercy of Christ? Is it going to hide the grace of Jesus? Is it going to hide his tenderness and his healing words? Is it going to restrict people and withhold people from knowing how good God can truly be? And that's a lot of responsibility. But it's literally all we're called to do. Just do good things in people's lives so they can see how good God is. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and I am going to close with this simple prayer. 
God, in our experience in church, we have picked up so many things that we are not meant to carry. Legitimate hurts, disappointments, failures, frustrations, bad doctrine, terrible twisted teaching, issues that we just thought, man, I didn't think I was gonna encounter that here again. Judgment, condemnation, guilt trips, all the ugliness that comes from people, and that's just it, God. We are picking up the kind of things that as people we drop on each other, that we throw up on each other, that we cloak each other and we hang on each other and we drag each other down and we hold each other back from your highest and best in our life, and we need to unload all of that and leave it at your feet. It's not you, it's not even the church. The church is perfect, but unfortunately it's in the hands of imperfect, broken people, just like me, just like everyone in this room. And so we mess it up, we mess it up all the time. And the solution to that is get back to getting it right. Get back to doing it the way you did it. Get back to just following your words, your lead taking the simple truth of the gospel and reflecting that to a world that desperately needs to see the kindness and love, the compassion, the grace, the forgiveness, the tenderness and the healing words of Jesus Christ. Help us to be that. Help us to be that first in our own homes, in our neighborhood, in our workplace, in our schools, wherever we go. Let us just be a reflection of you through doing good things for people who desperately need good things in their life. In Jesus' name, amen.